Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to the book of Matthew. We will be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I mean, for those of you that are new with us, uh, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm the pastor of corporate worship uh, most Sunday mornings, uh, I get to serve uh, by leading our uh, worship team and leading with you guys. And uh, but every now and then, I get the chance to preach and an honor to get to open up God's word with you all this morning. For those of you who, who have been with us, you know that we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly at the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had been correcting the false teaching that the Pharisees had been doing. And we had been hearing this phrase where Jesus was telling his disciples, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. And we saw that six times Jesus is having to re-clarify what the truth of God was actually saying. They had manipulated the word of God and he is clarifying it. But in chapter 6, the passage that we are going to begin this morning, Jesus is going to shift gears. And he begins to talk about the practices, or we could say the Christian deeds, the worship of the Pharisees, how they had been misguided and misled. He's going to bring clarity to, the, to them. All throughout what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount is raising the standard for the disciples. He's raising what, the, what character he's expecting of his disciples, what the ethic is. If you're, if you're there in Matthew, look over to chapter 5, verse 20. He says something so profound. He tells his disciples, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how shocking that would have been to the disciples when they heard that and to the multitude that was listening in? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the character that Jesus is calling for, it is impossible through human effort. It is impossible for us, for a Christian to muster up the strength on their own to meet the standard. The Sermon on the Mount, it's not a sermon about trying to grit your teeth to work harder. But rather, this character that Jesus is calling for can only be achieved through faith in Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians to realign our affections, to realign our desires. And the passage, church, that we're going to look at, Matthew 6, Jesus is alerting his disciples 
to spiritual self-deception. May you and I, we can be easily deceived. We are often deceived by other people, but so often we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We allow ourselves to believe things that are untrue. This passage is going to give us two warnings and two exhortations. And I want to read it with you. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Let's hear these words, church. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to get to gather with the saints. To get to sing truth to one another as we've just finished singing Christ, our hope in life and death. And oh God, as we... Open your word. I ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, we believe that your word is living and it is active. I pray this morning that you would help me to stand out of the way and that your word could cut us to the heart and encourage us, we pray. And as people said, church, I want to point out Two warnings from this passage and two exhortations, two encouragements. The first, first warning that Jesus gives to his disciples is this, beware of religious hypocrisy. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say, I don't like going to church because there are a bunch of hypocrites there. Quite a few of us, yeah? And if we're honest, Maybe that's kind of true. Maybe there are some hypocrites in the church. And if that's you, that you feel that way, man, let me be the first to tell you that we're a church of broken people. And we struggle. But we have a perfect Savior. Jesus is warning his disciples of Religious hypocrisy. Church, what is a hypocrite? In the ancient Greek world, a hypocrite was an actor. They would perform in dramas or comedies in the context of a theater. And what the hypocrite would do is they would put aside their true identity, 
and they would assume a false identity. They were playing a part. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is addressing the spiritual and religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees. See, a, a religious hypocrite is ultimately being deceptive. The religious hypocrite is pretending. They are playing a part. And we see in this passage that what the Pharisees were chasing was human approval rather than divine approval. Jesus describes how their good deeds were playing out. It had become a show. Let's, let's look together at verse 2. Look at what Jesus tells them. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. At this time that Jesus is talking to his disciples, there's no such thing as government care for the disabled. There's no such thing as social security to meet the needs of those who were not able to provide for themselves. And so what would occur in this context is the needy, the disabled, the beggars, whoever it may be, they would be placed outside of the temple. They'd be placed outside of the synagogue and they were begging, asking for help. And what was happening is that they, the Pharisees begin to make a show of their giving. Here you hear Jesus say, do not sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do. Most commentators believe that that's actually what would take place. Whenever somebody would give to the poor, it was a huge ordeal. The trumpets would glare and, and what would almost happen was a competition between people. Who could give the most? And you can imagine people applauding, wow. Can you imagine, what, see what Pharisee, Pharisee Bob gave to the needy? They would cheer one another on. And what was happening in their giving to those in need was they were drawing attention to themselves. The Pharisees, they were after the praise of man. They were hungry for adoration. John recounts this, and I want to read this from John 12. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to what was happening at this time. People were seeing that Jesus was doing miraculous things. And many wanted to believe, but look at what he says in John 12, verse 42. Many, even of the authorities, they believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus is criticizing the spiritual hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The good deeds 
And the giving that they were doing was not coming from a genuine place. The deeds that they were doing was not to honor God, but rather it was for their own glory that they were seeking. And their religion had become a show. Here I am, I'm giving, and, and everybody's, ah, wow, amazing. But their giving was motivated from the wrong place. Church, we had to see what's happening, what the warning Jesus is giving is outwardly, they were showing a religious posture, but inwardly, their hearts were elsewhere. It reminded me of what the prophet Isaiah, speaking, speaking for God, he said this in Isaiah 29, 13. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It was, it was fake. Their good deeds were not coming from a right place, but it was motivated by self-seeking. Church, this is an incredible warning for us this morning. To flee religious hypocrisy. It is possible that there are some of us and I have been guilty of this of so many times. Outwardly, we are showing our Christian deeds. But our hearts are not genuinely after the worship of God. For many years, I had the privilege of serving as a college pastor And I began to notice that there was a common story that I would hear from some of our young people. Oftentimes when I would meet with a college student, if they were already a Christian, I would ask them, did you grow up in a Christian home? And I often heard them say something like this, my parents would take us to church and act the Christian part, but at home, they were someone else. That is religious hypocrisy. If your Christianity is only something that you put on on Sundays, beware of religious hypocrisy. This is the first warning that Jesus gives to his disciples. Beware of religious hypocrisy. The second warning that Jesus gives his disciples is this, beware of the motive behind your good deeds. Jesus is not just interested in your good deeds, but the reason and motivation for why you did them. I want us to contrast two passages. 
I want us to consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, versus what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. Turn with me in your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 5, and go to verse 16. If you're there, say, I got it. Thank you, guys. I heard you were here. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, does that seem to contradict what we are reading in Matthew chapter 6? Anybody? Raise your hand if you think it's contradicting a little bit. A few. Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, let your light shine before men so that they see your good works and then they give glory to God in heaven. But then all of a sudden Jesus' tone changes and in Matthew 6, he says, let your good deeds be done in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is obviously speaking in hyperbole there. But how do we resolve this discrepancy? What is Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5 or 16? And how do we understand it with what he is saying in Matthew chapter 6? And church, it has everything to do with the motivation of the heart. What is the aim of Matthew 5, 16? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and what? I'll oh, say it louder. And they said so that they may what? Glorify your father in heaven. That is the aim of Matthew chapter 5, 16. Hey, let them see your good works and may the result be, wow, praise God. That it would bring glory to God. But notice that the motivation is absolutely different in Matthew chapter 6. For when they gave to the needy, Matthew 6 verse 1 they did it in order to be seen by them. They wanted praise. They wanted glory. John Stott, I thought, said it really well. Listen to what John Stott said about this comparison between Matthew 5 and, and Matthew 6. He says this, it is our human cowardice which made him say, let your light shine before men. And it was our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety before men. Catch this statement. I thought it was so good. We are to show when we are tempted to hide. And we are to hide when we are tempted to show. 
And church, this leads us to ask a very important question for ourselves: Is what has been motivating your good deeds? All the good things that you do on a regular basis, what is the fuel behind them? See, Jesus is pointing to these religious leaders and saying to his disciples, do not be like them. See, outwardly, they are doing these actions. They are giving, but inwardly, they are not trying to give glory to God. They are after their own glory. And church, we, we got to wrestle with that too. We do not want to be deceived ourselves. We must ask, why am I giving? What am I hoping to achieve by it? Why am I serving? Is it to bring glory to God or is it to bring glory to myself? Is it because I want to be seen? Is that why I'm giving? Is it because I want man's approval? Is it because I want the glory? And Jesus is reminding his disciples, beware of the motives of your good deeds. Test them. Church, we, in our sinful nature, we are glory thieves. Now, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Do you remember how the serpent deceived Eve? Do you remember the lie that he, he gave her, how he prompted her to come and eat of the forbidden fruit? In Genesis 3, he said, told her this, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Church, in our sinful nature, we are just bent that way. We want the glory. We want the praise. Man, have you ever just felt, man, I just wish I was appreciated? Have you ever felt that way? Somebody talk to me. Man, have you ever been there? I just, I just wish that people would appreciate what I do. Peyton, man, all the hard work you do. and Man, do, do these people not see everything I do for them? Have you ever just ever wanted to be appreciated? But you know what, if you listen to your heart close enough, you know what really that appreciation is pushing? I just want, I just want to be adored. 
I just want, I want the glory. And that is where our sinful nature always pushes us towards. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, beware of the motivation behind the good deeds that you're doing. Test it. Whose glory are you seeking? Test it. And Jesus reminds his disciples, the only thing that matters is what God thinks. That is the only thing that matters, what God thinks. Oh, church, may our good deeds be driven by love and adoration of our heavenly father. May that be the fuel because he is clear in these verses that self-centered deeds receive no reward. He says that twice in the passage. All those Pharisees that wanted the trumpet to sound because they did their good deeds, Jesus tells them the applaud that they received, that was their reward. But there is no heavenly reward attached to it. Church, we must beware of the motives behind our deeds. I want to transition to the two exhortations that Jesus gives in this passage. And the first exhortation that we see is that we are to be a giving people. Notice that it is implied in the text, please turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 2. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, if you give to the needy. Jamar, does your translation say that? Doesn't look like it, huh? Anybody? It doesn't say, if you decide that you want to give to the needy. But what does it say? What's the word there? When, when you give to the needy, Jesus is implying to his disciples, this is a part of the Christian life. God is a generous God, amen? He is a generous God and he has given us, church, what we do not deserve. At the cross, we see the generosity of God displayed. Where God sends his son to pay the price for sinners. God delights in acts of mercy and generosity. Church, man, we see this throughout the Bible. I wanna give a few examples of it in the Old Testament and some examples in the New Testament. Listen to God's heart of generosity and God's heart for those in need. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35, listen to this. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and sojourner and he shall live with you. 
understand what he's happening. You have a brother that comes on hard times. You are not to kick him off. You're, allowed, you're supposed to allow him to live with you and make sure he has the support he needs. And this week, I was just stunned by the next part because I think it just emphasizes God's heart, God's generosity, generosity, his kindness. Look at what the next part says. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. God's heart for the needy, God's heart for those who cannot fend for themselves. Let me give another example from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to God's instructions on how the Israelites were to treat the slaves that were being freed. Listen to this. And when you let him go, the slave, when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Church, we see this posture throughout the book of Psalms and Proverbs and throughout the prophets, God's heart for the needy. We see this generous posture throughout the New Testament. Christians are called to give to the needy, but they're also called to give regularly, or I should say systematically to their local church. You might say, well, Jonathan, where do you see that? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he says. Now, concerning the collections for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Because the church would use its resources to help those in need. We also see that the church is to give not only to those inside but outside. But listen to what was happening in the early church. This is Acts 4.34. This posture of give, giving based on the generosity that the church had received from God. They in turn become a generous people. Look at Acts 4.34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. There was no need. Because the church was making sure that everybody was taken care of. Church, we are to be a giving people. Over the last couple of weeks, I was reminded 
of a church here in the state of Texas that was in a low-income community. And the church learned that there was a, a, a neighboring school right close to where they were meeting. And this school had some of the lowest scoring of, uh, in the state. And this church began to pray, how can we try to serve this school? How can we try to, to, to help? And so what this church began to do is they began a feeding program, help the children at this school, and they started a mentor program. And so the, the members from the church would go and they began to invest time and they were paired with students and they would help tutor them. And the story says that after a year or two, it had a dramatic impact in that school. And the, the children's test scores went up. And God began to just use that church with the families in that school. And, and it, got, it was just a great example of let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And families from that school began to hear about just the generosity of that church. And they say, we got to go, we got to, what is, what is, something's different there. And families begin to put their faith in Christ as a result of the kindness and generosity of that local church. This passage, it reminds us, we serve a generous God. He's been generous to us. And therefore, we must be a generous people to meet the needs of those that are in need. And church, the final exhortation I want to give you is that God sees what is done in secret. Look at what he says at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What an incredible truth that that is, that our God sees what is done in secret. I imagine that there are some of you who have been practicing your deeds in secret. And, and, and no one is seeing what you're doing Our Father in heaven sees your faithfulness. He sees your hidden faithfulness. He sees your serving. What an incredible reminder for us. Church, the lesson from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4 is so simple. Beware of the motivations of your good deeds. As we close this morning, church, I want to invite us 
pray what the psalmist would pray. This week, there, there were two passages that, that came to my mind. As we think about what has been motivating our good deeds, I imagine that there are many of us here that would say, Jonathan, if, if I'm being honest, so often the motivations behind my good deeds are self-seeking. And I want to invite you, invite each of us to pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139. Listen to what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Can I invite us just to say, oh God, would you search my heart, Lord? What has been motivating my good deeds? What has been motivating my giving? Is it, is it the praise of man? Is it so I would be seen a certain way? Or is it, is it for your glory? But the psalmist also prays in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Man, maybe you're here and saying, Jonathan, I have just been after my own praise. I've been motivated by myself. We, why don't we pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Would you change my heart? Let's pray together. O Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, how it corrects us, how it realigns us. Lord, would you help us to hear these instructions this morning on what is motivating our good deeds. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would confront us, that you would encourage us. Lord, thank you for the reminder that we are to be a giving people. And we give because you first gave, Lord. You have been so generous to us, God, and we, we've seen that at the cross. Lord, that you gave your only son to die in the place of sinners so that sinners could be reconciled back to you, Lord. We thank you, God. Would you, would you help us to, as a response of that, Lord, would you help us to be a generous people? And Lord, we thank you for the reminder, God, that you see what is done in secret. Would you help us to be faithful? pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.